The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, now it's time for our Ask the Expert slot. And this morning we are focusing on family law. You can uh, text your queries to 53106 at a cost of 30 cent. Uh, but before we open it up to listeners' questions, one seismic change in family law in Ireland will be enactment of the Family Courts Bill 2022 uh, to go through the good and the bad of what that uh, might involve. Family law solicitor Keith Walsh joins me now. Keith, good morning. Now, you're not a fan of all of the uh, provisions in this. No, it's a bit of a curate's egg. Uh, First of all, I suppose we're delighted in the family law community that there has been uh, some emphasis on the need for change and the need for reform. One of the most important things and most welcome is that there will be specialist judges who will get specialist training in the area of family law. And there's a special emphasis on the importance of the children in the process. Um, And also, hopefully, there will be uh, one judge per case, which we really want. What happens at the minute is there's a bit of fragmentation and you can get a different judge on different days for your case. So really, it'll be really important, I think, from other jurisdictions, we've seen how important it is to get uh, the, the same, same character every time. Exactly. Instead of having to reiterate everything again and again and again, uh, it would be better that the judge says, yes, I'm familiar with the case. I have read the file. Exactly. And consistency in decision making. So if we have specialist uh, judges and specialist divisions, it's more likely we'll have more consistent decisions because at the minute, particularly district courts, each district court is its own fiefdom. Judges are completely independent. Whereas that new, this new system doesn't compromise the independence, but hopefully by having a kind of a division of family court, judges themselves will come uh, to their own mm. kind of independent views, which would be hopefully similar. Now, what about centres of excellence? In other words, in, uh, like they have for cancer care, uh, centres of family law around the country, how many would you need I think they're probably looking at about nine or ten and they're probably looking at them in the big urban centres so there'll be probably three over on the east coast then you might have one in Sligo one in Galway um, Limerick uh, Cork um, uh, Wexford Waterford area and then uh, possibly Bray Wicklow side and maybe mm. Nace and Dublin and currently how is it done for people in those areas do they simply go to the district court well exactly basically the marital uh, work is done mainly in the circuit court which is divorce and separation and mainly related to that and then the non-marital generally tends to be done the access guardianship custody as well as the childcare which is the public law which is where the state is coming to take uh, children away from the care of, of parents that's done in the district court and there's there's I suppose a district court in every single county really so there's you know there's a huge number of district courts and that's our busiest court so every year there's about 50,000 family law cases in total taken in the in the district court whereas the number in the, in the circuit court is seven or 8,000 because they're they're more complicated with divorce or separation. They take more time. And then there's a much smaller number taken mm. in the High Court. Now, there is also going to be the promotion of alternative uh, dispute resolution processes, which would keep you out of the court. Uh, you know, mediation and the like. Does it always have to be ratified by the court at the end? It would. You can't get separated or divorced without the judge signing off on it. So any agreement that's made of any kind, whether with lawyers or by mediation, will always have to be signed off by a judge. That's really positive. In, in some ways in Ireland in terms of people are, aren't allowed to get a divorce or separation unless the judge is satisfied that proper provision has been made for everyone including the children. There was a recent survey published in the Sunday Times in England that I, I think over 60% of people weren't aware that they could have an entitlement to their spouse's pension on divorce and once they miss their chance in England it's gone forever whereas that is very unlikely to happen in Ireland. So I mean that's a, a positive that a judge is involved from that yeah. point of view. Um, again um, 
when we look at certain cases in the public eye at the moment, the question of enforcing. Uh, so if somebody does not pay up um, and does a judge have a responsibility to ensure there is uh, a methodology by which money can be seized from someone who doesn't pay up. Well, particularly in relation to maintenance, there's an enforcement mechanism where you can have a thing called an attachment of earnings. So the maintenance can be applied uh, for uh, by the the spouse usually or the, the mother uh, so that the court makes an order directly enforceable against the employer. So that's where the money comes off. So the, the employer is expected to be more responsible than the irresponsible non-payer. It, well, it, it, precisely. And also it comes off automatically like any deduction from the payslip. So that, that's a reasonably effective but I mean there are still problems in enforcing uh, maintenance as as we've seen with the Enoch Burke case we need a better way of enforcing court orders uh, than we currently have. Now some of the uh, questions that are coming in uh, I'm recently separated now living alone not my choice am I still uh, entitled to pay half the mortgage on my house that I no longer live in considering I already pay rent and maintenance? Well, that's a tricky one because it, if you want to maintain your claim on half the house and you stop paying the maintenance, or sorry, you stop paying the mortgage, that may affect you. Uh, but there's a reality to what you can and you can't pay. But I mean, you need to resolve the situation as soon as you can, uh, really. And But in law, I mean, if you stop paying the mortgage because you can't afford it, um, would that in any uh, sale of the house and the proceeds being divided uh, would it simply be a mathematical calculation or would you have lost your entitlement entirely? It's it's probably more likely if you're not married and you're, you're arguing over the house that the contribution element is much stronger. But you just have to be careful. I'd have to look at the individual case. But generally, I would be careful before I stop paying the maintenance, uh, sorry, the mortgage uh, on a house. But the reality is if you've moved out, I suppose I'd look more at the circumstance about why did you move out? Is there any way you can move back in? And why doesn't your husband move out? Or what are all the circumstances? So I think that one isn't just a straight yes or no, Mm. I'm afraid. And I just was going to say, Pat, one of the huge issues with the, the family court bill is the fact that the the government is proposing that people move down to the district court, which is already overcrowded for divorces and separations. And it's a court of summary jurisdiction, which means it deals in very short bursts with things. So that's a huge problem, I think, for practitioners. And there's been a lot of criticism of that. So while the the family courts bill is welcome, this is a kind of what I'd regard uh, as a mean, Is there a case for saying, look, everyone's agreed everything in advance. Let's go to the district court. Bang, done. There is a case for that in, in circumstances where everything is agreed, but it, a judge does still have a role under our constitution to check everything and to, to analyse it and to look at it. And that involves a genuine review by a judge and they need just sufficient time to do that. And the problem in the district court is if you have 50,000 cases a year as opposed to seven or 8,000, you're just not getting the time to okay. do anything. And that's the concern. Uh, My divorce has been put off time and time again. My former other half uh, has their solicitor working on every delay possible. How is this allowed to happen? Our court system at the minute, unfortunately, allows delays um, or facilitates delays to some degree uh, because it's the courts. Sorry, the cases are listed. um, The more cases are listed on any given day that can take place so that. No, but, uh, you know, our judges give an instruction from on high. Uh, or should they be, which says uh, if someone doesn't show up, if they are, you know, seeming to abuse process, 
that they can be dealt with. Well, they, they should be, but the difficulty is if there's different judges on different days, if the court is overworked. In Dublin, we have three judges working full-time in the circuit family court. It's the busiest circuit court in, 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 in Ireland, if you like. But outside Dublin, you have what's called a circuit, which means the judge only does family law two or three times yeah. every term. And, and a huge number of cases are listed. So th- that's within the system. The new system would be designed to deal with that and and also I think you need to manage the case so that someone watches the case and says in actual fact this case has been put back too many times and your lawyers can say that but the problem is the judges currently are are completely overworked. The family courts are very much overworked. So the judge, it might suit a judge given the list on the day. Oh, let's get rid of this one uh, adjourned. Yeah, well, it, it unfortunately will. But there's also a U- European Court of Human Rights right to have a uh, your case dealt with in a reasonable period of time. And I mean, the courts are going to run into difficulty in that. So there's a genuine breach of possibly ECHR rights with delays. So I think there's there's quite a lot of that. And the courts are now becoming more concerned uh, about it. But it is a frustration for that person I can understand it My partner not spouse died recently no will I need advice to establish any rights I have do I need a specialist in cohabitation law uh, you may do in that um, uh, cohab- I mean a lot of probate or uh, wills lawyers will be aware of cohabitation uh, rights you have uh, six months uh, um, from within which to bring your uh, application and you're not necessarily going to be put on notice um, by the uh, survivors of your partner uh, if uh, about this so this is a really tricky area and it's led to an awful lot of, of case law so you, I would get legal advice immediately about this because it's a very um, and and time will run out without you knowing it. So you need to get into a solicitor ASAP. Yeah, because if next of kin suddenly get designs on the property, for it, example, it can make it very nasty. It, it can, and also, unfortunately, if if there's you know um, brothers or sisters or children who are entitled, they may be the people entitled under an old will or on intestacy, whereas cohabitants don't have any rights automatically. They have to apply to them, and you have to um, litigate your rights. So that can cause huge. Next problems. My husband and I are amicably separated. Can we do some of the divorce ourselves? Yeah, I mean, if you're amicably separated and you can mediate it or you can come to an agreement, if you both get uh, kind of independent legal advice, you can work it out in in a very cost-effective manner. I mean, the more amicable, the more reasonable you are, the, the, yeah. the more cost-effective it is. I mean, is. If, if you're thinking about two people, maybe two professionals who are married, they separate, they sell the house, split the proceeds, off you go, uncomplicated. Exactly, provided there's no... As long as no kids. As long as there's no kids and also no pensions because you have to have a look at the pensions and if one is a civil servant and the other is entitled to a state pension, how do you how do you equalise that or what's going to happen? Or if Which one you can agree. You can, well, agree. You, can, you can agree, of course, yeah. yeah. Um, I got a divorce in 2016 but I'm still waiting to get the house, etc. The solicitor that represented me won't help me any further because we fell out. I uh, tried getting another free legal aid solicitor but was told to go back to my original one. Since then, a revenue judgment has gone onto my ex-husband's property which includes the family home and this needs to be removed before I get the house signed over to me I mourn her trying to sort it out that's a tough one. I mean, you you do need the problem with conveyancing and property is you need a solicitor to, to act for you to do what needs to be done. And if you have a court order, 
to transfer the property, there's still some what's called conveyancing work uh, to be done. And the problem is, I think the Legal Aid Board generally doesn't deal with conveyancing work and you have to pay a private solicitor usually to do that conveyancing work. It shouldn't be hugely expensive, but if you're on Legal Aid, I suppose a few hundred euros is an awful lot of money uh, to get it done. But I think you need to get it done and, and see how that judgment can be removed because that, that could cause you difficulties and it's, it certainly isn't fair that yeah. that would be on your side of the property. The revenue can get a judgment, therefore, on the family home? The the difficulty is with the sale of the the family home but I mean I think you're going to have to certainly take it up as to why any judgment was registered after an order was made. Normally the court office would send what's called a property adjustment order to the the land registry so they would have been on notice of the transfer into your name. So I think you need to to get someone to have a look at the paperwork and to sort that out for you. Uh, sooner rather than later. I mean, that's a serious enough thing. Yeah. Mandatory maintenance doesn't take into account cases of victims of domestic violence who might want nothing more to do with uh, their children's parent, even if the money would be for everyone's benefit. In other words, they want no truck with the guy. That's yeah. normally a guy. Yeah. Um, well, I, I suppose maintenance isn't paid automatically. You, you have to apply to the court to get it. And um, you can always apply to vary an order for maintenance if you don't want the maintenance. Um, So nobody is going to be compelled to take maintenance and you could maybe change it into a lump sum maintenance order or something like that. Um, You know, the idea, and I I think I'm getting where this person's coming from, the idea that your man arrives with uh, the the Euro notes on a Friday because he knows he might get to see the kids, even though he's prohibited maybe from seeing the kids because of the violence. Maybe, but I suppose the children have rights to see even a violent parent as well because he's still their father and provided there's no danger, immediate danger to their safety, a court would say, well, look, there has to be some recognition of the rights of the children more than the rights of the father, the rights of the children to have a relationship with their father. So that's a very complicated one in terms of just the access as well, uh, you know. Now, the question of a settled divorce, uh, can it be reopened at any time? Now, this was the Irish solution to an Irish yeah. problem. Instead of having a game set and match divorce, if someone fell on hard times, they could go back and reopen it. Is that still the case? It is still the case. So we don't have what's called a final divorce here, really. There's a technical chance you could get a second bite of the cherry but you really would have to demonstrate a very significant change in circumstances. So, so suppose that's brought about by yourself. You know, you bring about uh, because you spent all the money on the 245 yeah. at Kempton Park or whatever it might yeah. be or you've got a gambling or addiction problem whatever yeah. it might be and you have used up what you got. The idea of then going back to the well and saying I've blown all the money I want more. Yeah, I think and there's been a few high court cases, particularly post-Celtic Tiger, about, uh, uh, I think, in particular, a spouse who, who received a very high payoff and uh, maybe didn't make the most wise investments and tried to come back. So a court is going to be reluctant in those circumstances to penalise the person who's made the payout already. Uh, um, in, in, so it is still very difficult to come back. It's It's... I think it's much more likely that you'd be successful if it was something that was outside your own control and it wasn't caused by by your own behaviour. So, for example, maybe an illness where somebody was was able to work and now was not able to work. Uh, maybe some some kind of tragedy with the children or some other unforeseen sure. events. But so the, those think, would be um, viewed compassionately, I presume. Yeah. What about a situation where, you know, man and woman separate, leaving kids behind with uh, the mother, for example, yeah. which might be 
be more typical than otherwise. Then the guy has a new partner and has more kids. And suddenly the money that was uh, to extend to maintenance of the former spouse, maintenance for the children, now has to extend to maintenance of a new family. Yeah. And there ain't enough to go around. What happens then? Well, I think that's much more difficult for the for the, the man with the new family to reduce the maintenance in those circumstances because before he had the new family, he was on notice of the orders of the court and he knew what he had to pay. And, and I think to a degree, a court would try and hold him to the original agreement generally. Even, he, even suppose he's one of those people who uh, believes that you take whatever children God sends. Well, he he may be, but the court will say, well, look, we did make a court order in 2006. But that would, be the, would the court not be then interfering in the private life of an individual saying you shouldn't have had kids? You should have... Well, no, I think in my view, a court is like to say, well, look, yeah, you, you knew that you, you had your first family to support and you had an obligation to them. And if you choose yourself to go on and have more children and, uh, and to um, incur more uh, liabilities, well, then, unfortunately, we're still going to hold you to the first um, uh, order. Mm-hmm. And why should your first family lose mm-hmm. out? So I think... So th- the judge would say, you've made your bed, so lie in it. And he'll reply, well, that's exactly what I did. <laughs> I think there was probably too much bed, maybe, <laughs> that situation and, and, and stuff, but I, I think that would be my gut sense of, of of what would happen. But again, judges differ, and you could always take your chance and see. But I, I think, from a policy point of view, a court would have to stand over its first order. Another one: four years, and my solicitor and my ex-solicitor taking everything so slowly. Three months between letters. How is this allowed? It, I suppose it depends where you are in the court system. The way to move any family law case on quickly is to get into case management, which is in every single county in Ireland now, and to get um, get a case focused on a court date. That generally will focus everybody's mind. So uh, there should be more happening than just letters. You should have dates in courts. You should have dates mm. for hearings. And but, if you, but, but I mean, there is a feeling that uh, the your profession, the solicitor's profession, is kind of still rooted in the 19th century. Um, you know, letters rather than emails and stuff like that. And, you know, we take time. We, do, we have to consider everything. So instead of, you know, in business, you get a reply within 24 hours. Yeah. You know, you get a decision. In in the law, it moves at a more gentle pace, a Dickensian pace. Well, I, I suppose I disagree with that in that I think most solicitors, uh, all solicitors almost use email. And, and, and while they might send letters for, for form, they, they d- generally email them to each other. But... Um, certainly it should be moving quickly than a letter every three months if if there is a way to move it on but sometimes when you've exhausted all settlement options and you're at the point that look there is no great talking to the other side we actually need a judge to resolve it that's in a very small minority of cases but I'm, I'm not sure if that's one mm. of those cases. Um, this year my siblings received around 40,000 each more than I received in the will as my parents gave me uh, 225,000 10 years ago. Now this is your lifetime yeah. Entitlement, I suppose. Can I legally request a fair share? Well, I suppose if you're a child of the of the deceased, you may have what's called a Section One One Seven right, which is a right to bring an application to the court that proper provision wasn't made for you. But again, each person can be properly provided for in different ways, and the court would look at what's happened over the lifetime. So that previous payment would be taken into account. Um, is there any such thing as a prenup here? I'm hoping to remarry, but I still feel bruised financially from my first marriage. I I'd like to be able to protect myself going into this 
one once bitten, etc. And that's your ex- this caller is exactly the type of person who would have a prenup because generally, in my experience, prenups are done by people who've already been through the process once. Uh, prenups are not automatically recognised in Ireland, and there's no case that says they have to be taken into account. But I suppose a, a lawyer will tell you that look, you may do one, and it, the law may change, and your prenup may be taken into account. And, and, and there's a very good um, working group was set up in about 2006, 2007 to look into this. So you see a, what I mean about the Dickensian pace? Yes. <laughs> well, well, it's up to the government to introduce whether they want to, to 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 allow prenups or not. But at the minute, they're not. But it'd be wise to get advice from a solicitor and perhaps do one uh, mm. if it puts your mind at ease. Uh, time for one more. My dad died over two years ago. My sibling was left as executor and the estate has not been settled. What can be done to get things sorted out? It's tricky enough, um, I, I think, really to call on your, your, your sibling to, to move it on. And uh, an executor or an administrator can be stood down by the court if they're not moving it on. So that's a last resort, really. And it's very, very... This yeah. is one and of the most. You difficult. don't know uh, what the situation is, who's living in exactly, whatever property exactly. there is, and uh, all so of it's that. So it's a thing. really tricky area, and also, it, unfortunately, uh, siblings can fall out quite a bit after the death of a parent, and hopefully, so just to remember, try not to fall out if you can, and, and try and agree it. Life is too short. Keith Walsh, exactly. family law solicitor. Thank you very much for joining us. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance weekdays at nine a.m. on News Talk.